Welcome to the Coast and Podcast, bringing you timely insights and strategies to succeed in the ever-evolving world of school system technology. On each episode, you'll hear from certified education technology leaders, visionary district change makers, and instructional experts who will discuss the technology topics making a difference in schools today. And now, enjoy today's show. Remote and hybrid work environments have grown in popularity over a number of years, and this trend, like so many others, has been accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic. This trend is, of course, impacting schools just as it is transforming other workplaces and industries. In considering schools' teaching and learning objectives and the tools and technologies we use to best equip students with future-ready skills, predicting and understanding the future of work is an important factor. However, district leaders also have another immediate concern to address within schools. The future of work, or at least the demand from employees that we embrace the future of work, is here now. How do we redefine this within our work environments and build edtech leadership to support it? That is the exciting topic we're going to be discussing today. My guests are Steve Langford, Chief Information Officer of Beaverton School District in Oregon, Alan Miedema, Executive Director for Technology for North Shore School District in Washington, and Freddie Cox, Chief Technology Officer for Knox County Schools in Tennessee. This episode is the first of three conversations we're producing here in alignment with COSIN's Large District Great Minds series, in which leaders from large school districts across the country are engaging in meaningful peer conversations and working alongside COSIN to incubate and drive innovative practices designed to solve districts' unique challenges as we move into the new era of hybrid learning. So Freddie, Alan, and Steve, thank you for being here. Good to be here. Thanks. Let's just start with you. We'll go kind of around the horn on this first one. We'll start with you, Steve. What is the future of work, or at least how you're presently defining it within your district? And, you know, within that, of course, we're looking ahead and we're anticipating the future of work. We know there's a lot of trends that I think we're all probably commonly working toward, but I'd also be really interested in hearing from everybody. Are there any trends in motion that you think it's important to say, take a second look at, or you know, perhaps even start to push back on, you know, as we kind of calibrate, right? What do we really advance and push forward, and what do we, you know, what do we think is important that we maintain? Uh, maybe a different way of doing things. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, for us, the future of work. Um, the way we kind of approached it was we seem to be in a rush to get back to what was as we were thinking about students and staff coming back into schools after and work after a year and a half that was at a physical location. And so for us, the, the way we approached future of work was we needed to, rather than just try and replicate 2017 or 1988 or 1993, we needed to be thinking about what did we learn from a year plus of all of our staff working remotely. Um, so what worked in that? Uh, what didn't work? Uh, what did we miss? And then use those questions and the answers to the thinking around those questions to think about, well, how do you reimagine work? So it's not what was, it is the best of what, what happened to us during a pretty traumatic and awful time. Yeah, Alan, how are you looking at it? Well, I agree with everything Steve led off there with, but I also would say that in some sense, coming from technology where it's pretty common that, that staff will work off hours anyways because servers crash when they crash, it's, it's a little bit of formalizing um, what we've already been doing, I think, is, uh, I mean, I've... I've had people work remotely. I've had people work off hours. I've had people 
do these things before. I've had people working off their phone on the side of a road on the way to a conference kind of things before. Um, I think in some ways we, f other folks found, I didn't need to necessarily be in the office to do my work. And I feel like, well, I already, I already knew that my people already did that. I already had people who commonly worked at home on Fridays and nobody noticed. So I, I think it's a bit of catching up. How about you, Freddie? I, I would agree, you know, our staff was was comfortable with these concepts and it kind of gave us an opportunity to uh, to showcase alternative ways uh, that folks could work and uh, figure out how we can move the district forward, uh, even though things may not be, uh, as Steve mentioned, like they were in 1993. And so, so when we're planning um, for what the hybrid workplace should look like, a big part of that is the importance of involving those who are living it, right? So that's the folks at every level of our organizations, of a district, of a school who, this is impacting and influencing both, I think, from the perspective of the challenges present that that dictate that it really is important to have these options. For example, you know, the traumas, the, the other things that you mentioned that folks are facing to say, look, I really, we need some flexibility here, right? We need, I, I, we can't go back to the other way of doing it because things have just changed. But also, you know, the comfort level of having a process that everybody thinks works to say, you know, some people are probably coming in and saying, look, I'm really expecting to see things change and others are saying, I don't know, I, I kind of like the old way. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about this, right? But, but involving them in those conversations is important to make sure you have a plan that works for everybody. What does that collaborative process look like in your mind? So maybe we'll start with you, Alan, on this one. And, you know, just kind of that, that how do you engage those different stakeholders, those different roles and kind of think through, all right, how does this plan work according to everybody's various needs? So again, when we when we first started having some amount of remote learning and for our excuse me remote work, um, and again for for us that uh, years and years ago we started this process. One of the conversations you have right away is just really establish what a clear set of expectations are for what needs to happen and what needs um, what the experience needs to be for folks. You know, I've got I've got staff who really don't interact with anybody non technical all day. So for them, working off Teams, working off of um, you know email, occasionally picking up a Zoom call or picking up the phone to talk to somebody else technical is 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 fine, and that can be done really from anywhere, right? And then I've got other staff where they need to be able to take calls from people from outside. They need someone to know that when they call the office phone, somebody's going to pick that up. So we just start with the conversation of what's what are the requirements for your position what needs to happen there and how are we going to fulfill that and then where you do it from is almost secondary at that point i mean if you can do that from the kitsap peninsula that's fine with me if you need to be in an area that we call the fishbowl in our uh, administrative center then that's fine with me also but we try to focus on what's the work that needs to be done there you know a circumstance i'm sure this has to happen from time to time with you know certain a certain percentage right of the staff and faculty within a district where you know as I kind of mentioned in the opening here we're we're giving all this thought to the future of work we have across every different industry 
these trends taking place where the expectation is that there's always options for remote or at least hybrid work or, you know, the things are evolving very rapidly. Um, and yet, you know, it, it's almost was a, a time to, to remind ourselves, oh, yeah, Right. That applies to us now too. Right? Like we're preparing students to go out and do that, but what about our workers and our employees? And you know, I would imagine there's certain of those folks, that, like we said, who are really saying, "Look, I just like workers in other fields. I have an expectation of this happening." There's probably others who said, "I never really thought of it that way, and that wasn't what I was expecting." And hmm, I'm, you know, I'm not so sure about this. And you talked about the expectation setting piece of that, but I'm wondering how specifically, I guess, important that expectation setting piece is for those who are starting out, you know, more skeptical to say, okay, well, you know, it, it's not that anybody's being forced into anything, but we need to create options and here's why in the big picture. Um, it, it just kind of as a follow up to what you were talking about, Alan, I'm wondering, when those situations come up, right? Like how, how important is the expectation setting coming from that angle? Because I think that's the one that sometimes we may forget to think about as much. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that, that usually the conversations I was telling you about always in the past had come up after somebody had been with the district for a while. But now I think going through this experience, people have got a better sense of what do I need in my, in my life as, as, as a worker in this environment. And hopefully that this isn't the main part of my life, right? That this is a part of my life and not my life. So for the first time, I think just about everybody we interviewed for new positions brought up the idea of what's the option for remote learning or excuse me, I keep saying that remote work, excuse me. And, um, and it was obvious from the interviews is for, for folks that was kind of a deal breaker of is that going to be something that's on the table for me because I kind of feel like that's something I need in my life and we've demonstrated that that we can do this and be effective so so that yeah I guess the difference is is, is when that conversation gets initiated and what the expectation is it's a, a little bit shift in the power balance there um, but I'm you know, I'm, I'm fine with it because I would like to have a life outside of work as well. I get where they're coming from. Absolutely. So, so Steve, going back to that collaboration piece, um, I know, you know, in, in your district, you developed a really effective process for remote work and, and, you know, for these evolutions. And with process, the key thing I think about is a process only works if every step of the process is working in sync. If there's any element of it, any stage that's that's out of line, then the entire process breaks down. So, you know, that's critical to it being collaborative with, okay, everybody who's involved in this needs to be on board. We need to support all. So what, what is that collaborative process of planning and then implementing look like uh, in your district? Yeah, collaboration, I think is a continuum with maybe confrontation at one end because it began with confrontation uh, for us in, in March of this year we issued a statement from the district that we wanted to welcome people back to work. And that was deeply offensive to people who had been working very hard in a different location. And what we meant was back to the office, right? To do our work. Um, we lost three people, uh, one immediately due to that memo and said that in the exit interview. And we lost two others because they found jobs that could let them do remote and they didn't have confidence in us. Um, it was a series of pretty hard conversations with the cabinet because we were not united in mind or in belief that this could be viable 
even though, as Alan said, our teams in technology have been doing this for years. Um, the problem was the rest of the, or the organization had not. And so that's where the confrontation came into play. And so for us, um, I think you're, you were spot on. The way through that was to develop a process by which there would be common understanding, common expectations, both on the employee side and with managers. Um, because that's where the rub came was we had people who were in leadership positions who had never supervised and didn't understand what remote work looked like, even though we'd all lived it for a year. And I think for us, what helped was drafting a, the, the process, documenting, having the employee supervisor sign um, so, and discuss. So there's that creating that common understanding, I think, was key. And then providing some support and resources for other departments. Uh, I know, for example, we had some of our IT leaders on my team go train other departments and talk to them about how we do our work. And I think that that helps um, create that common understanding, common expectations. And what we found is when you have employees that you trust and they know you trust them, they rise and give much beyond the level. Um, we, if it's a transaction, and that's how we approach it as leaders, we will get a transaction from our employees. And if it's more about professionalism and trust, we get so much more than we give, in my opinion. Freddie, you know, part of course, an important part of facilitating whatever vision we each have of, of the hybrid workplace is the technologies that help support that right, and make it possible and what they do for us. So I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, when you're approaching this and, and planning it out, um, what, you know, what's the order <laughs> that you usually go through when thinking about, you know, you have your objectives, okay, we want to do these things because of XYZ goals that we have. This is for our staff, it's, you know, it, it helps us support our students, etc. Also, though, you have in mind technologies you're familiar with, what you think will help with that. I mean, so do you usually think through those objectives first and then start to put the process and then map, okay, what tools might help us do this? Do you sometimes think about the tools earlier in the process and say, well, we have these things at our disposal that can help us do these things. So let's think about, you know, which of those things we want to pursue. How do you usually approach that? As a technologist, it's it's easy to jump straight to the tools. And uh, one of the, the things that, that I've really tried to do over the past couple of years is to think about it as a design process. So rather than trying to necessarily just provide a tool uh, go and start with those objectives. So just like we would uh, you know, design a school, we need to design a solution. It's not just providing a tool that we think, um, oh, yeah, this will fix your problem, really to, to listen and hear uh, those objectives and goals. Freddie, I think we're going to come right back to you on uh, kind of transitioning to a little bit of a different topic here within this, but it also relates to um, part of what Steve was sharing and, and part of our thoughts just about how in so many ways, of course, schools, you know, the education system is unique within the way that it functions. But in, in so many ways right now, there are these challenges and trends across the entire economy that are being felt 
within schools, you know, a shortage of candidates for certain roles, employees looking for situations that are more favorable to their needs or to you know, the direction they think they want to go. Just significant movement at different times of the school year. That's atypical, and that is putting districts in positions to think about, do we even have enough staffing to continue to do what's on our calendar? And then how do we... Um, be more competitive as an employer, perhaps, you know, to a much greater extent than was traditionally the, the focus area, right? Um, but when you take time to invest in, in a hybrid plan, you come up with a plan that you feel like it really works. You can communicate it to your current staff, to a potential new hire, et cetera, and say, look, here's what we have in place. You know, do you feel like it makes you more competitive as an employer? And have you found that to be an important thing, you know, to do uh, with the way things are trending. It's it's been difficult as as school district in the past. Uh, we had uh, I felt like the upper hand in uh, job flexibility in person, and and the remote work really sort of flipped that on its head. So we've had to respond to uh, you know candidates who are finding more flexible options. They may have worked for the district for a long time. And uh, it, it is important tool in our tool belt to be able to, uh, you know, honestly tell candidates what that what that looks like and how the district's responding. Alan, uh, what have you seen in that area? Oh, I, I, I agree com completely. I mean, one of the one of the big offerings we had at school district was I mean, it's never been been money. Right. And it's never been prestige. It's been culture and mission. And um, as other organizations start to formalize some of these improvements to the work culture for people, then that becomes more competitive for us. And you have candidates who, who say, well, I can find those things other places. Other places are offering some of those same, same things. Now, conversely, you know, I think that, um, I think this is an opportunity for us to jump on some of the things you're seeing from industry now. I know more and more people who work for a company where they geographically aren't anywhere near it, right? And um, I've got a consultant doing a, a great, great bit of work for me right now, who does not live in the Seattle area, doesn't live in the state, doesn't live in this time zone. And she just does bang up work for me. And I know at this point, I wouldn't be able to hire her as a full-time employee, but I hope that day is not very far off because there is literally nothing that I need her to do where I need her to be sitting in our offices. So in this time where we're having more and more trouble attracting great candidates to our place, we need to remove that geographic restriction around this, you know, telling somebody that they've got to move up from California to be here, where really the thought is, why do they need to move up from California to be here? There's probably three times a year where I need them in the office. This episode of the COSIN podcast is presented by Content Keeper and Clever. Content Keeper's cloud filtering and security platform helps schools improve instructional effectiveness and ensure student success and safety in today's hybrid learning environment. Visit contentkeeper.com to learn more. Clever brings all your learning applications into one secure portal and provides single sign-on for everyone in the district. With more time to teach and learn, Schools get higher engagement in the education software they've invested in. Learn more at clever.com. Right. Yes, Steve, have you seen a significant 
shift in the expectation or, or demand around having you know either a more hybrid or even more to the the end of the spectrum around remote roles uh, either as a result of remote learning that happened during covid where people said well hmm you know this is actually working pretty well in my role and i don't yeah why should we go back to the way it was before or you know i would imagine too i mean as each uh, you know successive graduating class comes out of universities and they're being prepared for and thinking ahead to roles that are more like, geographically agnostic right and they're 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 considering okay well this this organization this school district this, there's a culture there that i really like that's the mission that i'm passionate about it's the kind of work i want to do but i don't know if i want to be in person all the time or uh, is that becoming much more of a demand is it more there's also a matter of of course as we're developing uh, more and more hybrid options for students you know we have to evaluate the logic of saying okay well doesn't it make sense that the same would apply to our faculty right <laughs> it does it's not if we're doing one and not the other that might not make the most sense but where, where do you see the pressure coming from yeah, I think there's an increased um, expectation that work doesn't have to be confined to a geographic location. And um, I, what Freddie and Alan said are spot on with people are, are now thinking about, well, this, you know, this, this kind of a hybrid can really resonate with me. Um, over the last couple of months, we've had three positions that we needed to fill. Um, every single interviewee asked the question about, well, do, is there a possibility of remote work and how much? Uh, what can be can I accomplish remotely? So, I think there's a greater um, desire than in the past to even ask that question. I think I didn't pre-pandemic we didn't see that question coming up nearly as frequently, and now it's 100. Um, percent So I think there is this expectation that you know we've done this successfully for 15, 16 months now, uh, probably actually closing in on two years, and so. Um, this is becoming normalized, which is a which is a good thing. And I think as leaders, you know, one one thing I told the superintendent because he and I were on different sides of the table about this initially, and said I, I actually don't want an IT shop staffed with people that will tolerate coming in to sit at a desk so I can look over their shoulder and make sure they're working because I, I actually we we don't need those people. We need people that that we that function at a much higher level than that. And that seemed to resonate with him um, as we were, you know, collaborating, moving from confrontation to collaboration around remote work. That seemed to be something that resonates with people. This is this is now become normalized in our workforce. It was in IT. It's a big shift for our HR functions, our teaching and learning, our business functions. They're just not used to this, and we have to remember that we've got to bring them along too. Now, Steve, you, you mentioned the you mentioned the the onboarding piece, and I, I do want to acknowledge that this isn't all rosy, right? No. The onboarding and the culture piece, I'd say, I still don't have a great handle on. As I bring people on, how do I make sure we get them into the culture and the work environment here, so that they are really part of the team? We've been we've been really lucky in North Shore that our technology department has um, been very stable. Right. But now we're getting into an era where we're starting to have some people retire and move on for reasons that 
um, you know, just that's how life goes. And I worry about as we bring new people on and if they're working remote, and we did have some people who came on during the pandemic, um, how do we incorporate them into the, the culture most effectively? So as Steve says, transactional. So it doesn't just feel like I'm a gig worker here, that I really am part of the North Shore School District. I am part of what we're doing here. And um, I don't have a great handle on that piece yet, but it's very important because you know I want to keep people here. And the way I'm going to keep people here is culture. Speaking of culture, uh, of course, there are the challenges associated with onboarding people into your culture, regardless of whether it's brick and mortar, remote, et cetera, and saying, okay, have we established a clear culture? And then what is our process for getting everybody into that? But have you found that these shifts have caused you to, to revisit and perhaps redefine the culture in certain ways and say, okay, we, we knew what our culture was before, but things are changing a lot. And now our culture is something a little bit different. And so now we're trying to onboard our new folks into it. We're also trying to, in some ways, onboard our existing team into what the new culture is because we have changed that. Has that been something you've had to go through? I think it's been a, a, just a little bit different than that, excuse me, at least for, for, for us. For, for me, I think it's been more We've had to get intentional about things that maybe were uh, just more natural. You know, if I'm going to see these people five days a week and uh, it's one or two folks and just sort of incorporating them in and just noticing, hey, you know, that doesn't really seem like it's clicking for Doug over there. It's easier to, to pull them into that. I think now we've had to get more thoughtful, intentional and purposeful about these things. And again, I don't know. Well, I do know I'm probably I'm not there yet, but we're getting there. I think that's going to be the hardest part of it for me. Uh, the intentionality is important because you know in, in an office it's easy to to walk down you know walk down the uh, aisle and and physically interact with people, and and that's an intentional act, but it feels much more natural than uh, you know a lot of the digital interactions. Uh, so making sure that we do that with purpose and intentionality is, is really important. Yeah, I'd say this is probably as tough as the shift um, for, pe for some people, because not all jobs can be done remotely. So even in IT, we have job functions that show up every day because their jobs are not aligned to remote work as easily as others. And what Alan said is, is right the heart of the matter is how do you maintain culture and not move to just a bunch of people being independent consultants? And I wish I could say we've solved that. We haven't. Um, what we've seen is between our IT teams, they've gotten stronger because they had to interact all day long to accomplish the mission of the department or a project. The connective tissue that between the teams in IT is something that is has weakened because we don't have those times in the kitchen where we are both getting coffee and I can look at one of our network engineers, for example, and say, well, how's your kids? Um, we've tried to do some things to, to increase that. Um, the challenge is the workload for IT shops over the last two years has been so significant that when we try and take time to build culture and we talk about how important it is and why we have to do it, I can look at a screen and see people who are just panicking because all the things they can't do right now that have to get done. So putting the culture in the context of the trauma that, that people have experienced, it, it makes it even more challenging. And so as we think about remote work looking forward, 
I think we've got to figure out how to, this is the, this is the, the, the thing that will distinguish our work is how well do our teams function together? Are they unified? Do they have that strong culture? And at right now, this is something we're really struggling with, how to maintain and build that. Steve, you know, so you bring up the idea of um, teams getting stronger during this time. And I hadn't really thought about that until you said it just now. I, I do think that's, that's true. We've, uh, and the way, for us anyways, the way I think it's happened is we've had leaders within each of our smaller teams who have assumed that responsibility to make sure that um, we stay tight during this work environment. And I think that there's, a, there's an opportunity, there's a growth opportunity for staff within that. For me to have a conversation with, with, with uh, either the formal or natural leads within these different groups and say, hey, I need you to make sure that Margie is, is on board, that she's dialed in, she's new, she doesn't really know the culture here, I want you to reach out. It doesn't have to all be from me. And then it becomes a growth opportunity for other people within my team to say, I rely on you as a member of leadership within this organization to help us build this thing. And I think that can make us stronger also. So um, I think that one of the things I got to do is be a little less ego engaged on all culture comes from me and that it's more from the whole team. I think this is a, a challenge that is uh, felt more ac acutely within, within schools, but perhaps schools can provide a, a really nice roadmap for other industries in, you know, the fact that the mission of the mission of education in general, of educating kids and the mission of your individual district organization is non-negotiable, right? No matter your role within that district, you have to be bought into that mission. It doesn't matter what department you're in. And that is what has allowed so many schools and districts to be successful throughout the pandemic is the fact that CTOs have seen the opportunity where how they can get involved with supporting social emotional learning, right? Things like that, that was not traditionally something they had to think that much about, but the need arose and they said, okay, what do we need to do here? And this is what we're here for. We're here to help kids. Okay, we're going to do this. The equivalent of that wouldn't necessarily happen in most industries because, well, that's not, that's not really part of my purview. So, but, but it really is so important. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I think that that does present challenges around when we have these hybrid type environments and we do have people who are either by choice or by necessity pretty much going to be brick and mortar others who are you know toward the other end of the spectrum maybe they're more remote or they're they're a little bit hybrid is they're coming from different directions so how do we make sure that the culture is consistent that everybody understands it the same and everybody really is a part of it because again that's not always required in maybe other industries that have had remote workers for many 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 years right and sometimes it's like well they basically they're full time but they're basically an independent contract they don't really you know need to be part of the culture it would be great i guess if they were but they're not <laughs> and you know but eventually um you find that when you have those inconsistencies or you have inconsistencies in application of a policy uh, we have two people who work for us full time both of them due to whatever circumstances need to move out of town one of them, we let them keep their job and work remote. The other one, we say, sorry, you can't. And there's not really a reason why. It's just like, we're just being inconsistent. 
that I mean, people pick up on that, right? And they say, is this a place, you know, when I come to work here, I love my job. I, I really want to work in this district for a few decades if things go the way that we hope. And do I feel like that's a reliable plan? I mean, like all of that stuff, that's a long-term vision, but all of that starts here, right? This conversation of, do we have a culture that everybody's bought into? Uh, you know, how, how challenging is that piece of, um, you know, establishing consistency in the culture for employees who are operating in, in very different contexts, I think. Uh, you know, but but you know, what, what do you think about that, Alan? I, I, I'm a little, I'm a little, and maybe this wasn't the intent, but I'm a little stuck on the word consistent. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how people are going to react to this, but, you know, equity and equality are different things. And cons consistency in approach doesn't mean everybody's going to get to work remote or that everybody is going to have to have the same experience. And I'll say, frankly, as we extend that out across the organization, as we've actually had some conversations and maybe attempted to formalize some things, that has rubbed some people outside of technology the wrong way completely, where right. people who didn't know that I had folks who didn't work five days in the office ever, but now suddenly becoming aware of it, got a little bit excited about the idea of, well, why does technology not have to be in the office? And say, technology hasn't been in the office. I mean, you guys didn't know before we got things done. This the nature of the job, right? I mean, it's this, your position might require you to be in the office four days, five days a week. Somebody else's position, literally, they don't ever need to be in the office. So I would say, and again, maybe I'm just stuck on the word consistency, but I think that that is, um, in some places, threatens to derail the whole process. Is the because, and in some cases, I think it's is you. It's not even the people in another department. It's a manager in a department that, going back to Steve's earlier point, really manages by staring at people, and you know, walking by the cube and making sure. I really want to make sure you know that you're not looking at a picture of your grandkid right now. I mean, what the heck do I care if they're looking at a picture of their grandkid? If I had a grandkid, I'd look at pictures of them. Right, and I think Freddie, I mean, like, that's such a good point is, and that's, you know, tracks back to the importance of understanding our approach from the beginning, right? And here's why we're making these uh, decisions in these situations. Here's why these roles, it's really important that they're in the building in this way. These roles, it can be a little different. These ones, and so that everybody knows from the beginning, all right, here's what to expect. I understand it. There's logic behind it. Uh, it's applied fairly. And we're all, and we know that we're all paddling in the same direction <laughs> and it's not you know it's not feeling haphazard because we all understand that and it's that the thoughtfulness of that approach from day one have you have you found that to kind of be effective when we're you know because you're because it's completely true right there there are such a diverse variety of roles and departments and needs and what makes sense and there's logic to it all but it's very important that everybody understands how that applies to them yeah, I mean, as as leaders, that's that's a part of our job is to communicate that why. And you know, the technology department has had mostly itinerant staff for you know the past decade, and so we we thought about these things years ago, and now they're coming back up to the surface uh, as we're leading the the larger organization through this change. And so you know, communication. And sometimes being able to distinguish the why is, is really important uh, as, as we look towards these changes.
as we close here, I would love to, to take an opportunity here to go around around the group here and you know, speaking, of course, to our uh, tech leader listeners and think about, you know, as we are rapidly moving into this new hybrid ecosystem, what are what are a few of the qualities uh, or competencies that you think tech leaders need to focus on developing? Maybe it's a few that you found yourselves developing or others that you just kind of reflected on and thought about, yeah, this and this are super important um, in being able to navigate these needs. Uh, so how about we'll, we'll start with Steve on this one? It's easy sometimes when we get together and we're sharing practices to think everything's smooth and people have things figured out. And I think it's really important for us to know that we're all trying to figure this out. And so I would I, I would say this work is complex, it's challenging. Um, we, a competency that I think can help in that area is we need as leaders to understand that our role is to provide very clear, guardrails or guide rails, not guardrails, but guide rails for staff expectations. So people know um, and can operate within those. And at the same time, we've also got to hold this idea that our staff are professionals and, and we need to treat them as such. And when they do, they rise well beyond our expecta expectations for the most part. And when not, we've got clear processes. Um, we've had people who said, Remote work doesn't work for me. I need to be in the office. I'm too distracted. Okay, we're going to make a space for you because we don't want to lose you. So I think in, in terms of that competency, I, I would say it's it's really around providing those guide rails, creating processes that are commonly understood, and then supporting staff wherever they're at in, in their comfort level, and then connecting that to, to the culture of the, the team. I'm, I'm glad Steve brought up the idea that it's hard work. I think, uh, and this wasn't where my answer was going to go, is I think it's important that we've talked, Steve, Freddie, and I about how we've tried to make this work, but I think it's also important that we acknowledge the struggle in in what we're doing here. Um, and I would say that's not just personal, uh, professionally, but it's also personally. I mean, I've had conversations with staff member about how they staff members about how they are dealing with the pandemic, how it's affecting their lives, how it's affecting their professional life, their personal life, and what they need as a human being on this planet. And I think more purposeful, thoughtful conversation that acknowledges, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard doing this work. It's hard being a person. It's hard raising kids. It's hard educating kids. And having those conversations, those honest conversations about how are we making this work? Because here's something that ain't working for me. And, uh, you know, Steve and Freddie sure seem to have it together, but I feel like I'm falling apart. Um, so what are you guys doing? And then engaging in those conversations. I think that's super important for us to do. Uh, and uh, yeah. Stephen, I've known him for a long time. He knows I am not naturally good at that conversation. Freddie, you get the last, the last one. I mean, I do think it kind of boils down to to relationships uh, because the the relationships that we make both in the department, within the organization, uh, foster all of these things. They foster communication. They foster listening and honesty. So uh, that that's really where it it boils down to me is. The, the relationships that we have and maintain um, in within the district. Well, I think that's a great, great point to close on. And it's clear that you've all 
uh, put a lot of thought into this and that you're continuing to to think deeply about it and these trends are just going to continue and continue right? it's not something that's ever going to be finalized uh, we'll, we'll see things continue to change and that's why it's important i think that as leaders you know we put our heads together and continue to share successes share challenges and and work towards solutions so thank you to steve alan and freddie for taking the time to be a part of the cosin podcast and uh, before we close i do want to thank the sponsors of cosin Large Districts Great Minds series, Amazon Web Services, Classlink, Clever, Content Keeper Technologies, FileWave, and Google. So listeners, make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear the remaining episodes in this mini-series, along with upcoming episodes on a variety of other topics critical to school technology leaders. And thank you once again to our guests today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the COSIN Podcast, produced in partnership with MindRocket Media Group. Visit MindRocketMediaGroup.com to connect with our expert team and learn how we can support your education industry, communications, and marketing goals. And to make sure you never miss an episode of the podcast, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. You can also listen to each new episode on edcircuit.com or cosin.org.